From the world-famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Daniel Sellerson. D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra. Yeah. And the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Daniel Salerson. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everyone had a safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday. I'm Daniel Salerson, filling in for Sean Kelly today since he is in Chicago with the Pelicans. Don't worry, you'll still hear from Sean as we'll check in with him momentarily to talk about the Pelicans' final game on this three-game road trip. The Pelicans had some good news and bad news last night. The good news is New Orleans took down the Knicks in Madison Square Garden 103-99 and won their second straight game on the road to get back to 500. The bad news is Anthony Davis left the game in the first quarter with a non-displaced fracture in his left hand. No timetable has been set on his return, but for the second straight season, AD won't play in his hometown of Chicago. After the game yesterday, Sean caught up with AD to talk about his injury. I got to say, it's hard for me to look at that left hand of yours right now. Is it kind of surprising to you to to see that here tonight? Yeah, uh, especially when I felt myself going getting going early. You know, um, hit my hand on the rim on one of the alley oops and uh, felt pain instantly. So. Uh, Really couldn't, really couldn't move it, you know. Um, but try to find out everything tomorrow. Hopefully, it's a short-term thing. So it was on one of those lobs of the rim. I couldn't figure out which play it was. Was it, was it late in that first quarter? Yeah, there? it was. It was late in the first. I, mean, I, I did two lobs back to back. Um, I don't remember who fouled me, who was right there, but I just know uh, got fouled and you know hand started hurting. Did you, did you hit the rim like with your palm or did you turn yeah, it around directly on the side? So it was like a karate chop on the rim. You know, so uh, it's not a good sign. Did it feel like a bruise, or is it a feeling that you felt before? Uh, not sure. You know, I never had anything wrong with my hands, so it's the first time thing. Hopefully, find everything tomorrow. Hopefully, it comes back. You know that that it'll be a short-term thing, and I get back on the floor as soon as possible. All right. So your team rallies tonight, and uh, you were looked like one of their biggest cheerleaders there in the second yeah. half. Seemed like maybe um, with, with the heart and the effort that went into it, this was. A pretty good moment those those last two quarters tonight on the road for your teammates. Yeah, uh, we had a great team. You know, we got a lot of heart and a lot of character, and we fight, you know, for the whole 48 minutes. You know, and for them guys to come in and step up, <clears throat> you know, Chief played excellent. The guard uh, defended Mello well. You know, uh, made big plays. You know, uh, Drew and Ryan, you know, uh, coming in. You know, Josh. You know, everybody who played, you know, made big shots and made big plays for our team to get the win. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't didn't you miss your game yeah. going home last year to Chicago? Yeah, That's got to make you feel a little sick and hard. Yeah, uh, I mean, it does. And it was, it was the same same day. I mean, uh, we had a back-to-back last year as well against Utah. Got a concussion, told me I couldn't travel with the team. Um, at least I get to travel, but still I, I want to play. So that's two years. You know, hopefully next year I get to play. All right, we're pulling for you. Get better. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hopefully AD will be back real soon, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Today is not just the Pelicans game day. It's a huge Saints game day. The Saints are in Seattle to take on the Seahawks tonight on Monday Night Football. Both teams are fighting for home field advantage in the NFC, so tonight should be a fantastic game in the Pacific Northwest. 
We have coverage from both teams today on the Black and Blue Report. NewOrleansSaints.com senior writer John DeShazer checks in from Seattle to preview tonight's game. And we'll also get a Seahawks perspective on the game as Seahawks.com writer Claire Farnsworth joins us later on. So we better get started on this double game day edition of the Black and Blue Report. We'll start on the Pelican side and hear from the radio voice of the Pelicans and of course, your normal Black and Blue host, Sean Kelly, up next in one minute. Are you ready for healthcare reform? At Blue Cross, we're ready to help. Learn all you can about healthcare reform at bcbsla.com slash reform. Here you'll find information on tax credits, health insurance options, answers to frequently asked questions, and a handy checklist to help you prepare. Visit us today at bcbsla.com slash reform and get ready. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association and is incorporated as Louisiana Health Service and Indemnity Company. Make the holiday season extra special for your favorite sports fan by giving the gift of Pelicans Basketball. The Pelicans Holiday Plan, presented by Austin Steakhouse, is the perfect stocking stuffer. With packages starting as low as $45, you can choose any five games, including the Heat, Thunder, and Clippers. Plus, with every holiday plan purchase, you'll receive a free $25 Austin Steakhouse gift card. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your holiday plan today. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. All right, well, today the tables have turned. Sean usually doing the interviewing, uh, but today it's my turn, and we welcome in from Chicago, Illinois, is Sean Kelly. Uh, Sean, uh, is it weird not having a lot of game prep today? No broadcast tonight, so uh, what's your day like today in Chicago? It's a little out of my rhythm, Daniel, to say the least. Um, and uh, it'll be the first time, I think, uh, ever that I'll watch a Pelicans game slash Hornets game and uh, not call it. So uh, I know we've already had one of these instances already, but I was with the Saints on that particular night. And so tonight I'll actually see the team in person and I guess get back in and, and enjoy it the old-fashioned way, which is to just watch and enjoy a basketball game and maybe take some notes. Now, uh, some good news and bad news from last night. The good news is the Pelicans win last night in New York, 103-99. to The bad news, of course, Anthony Davis out with a non-displaced fracture in his left hand. What was the mood like in the locker room last night after finding out about Anthony's injury? It was mixed emotions, that's for sure. You know, it was really sweet winning a consecutive games on the road. It had not been accomplished yet this year, and, and so that was uh, particularly nice. And also it was a game in which... The Pelicans had to come back and win, and after finally grabbing that lead going to the fourth quarter, they were able to hold on and win on the road. So that part was a nice accomplishment, and certainly there were good feelings about that. But then this, this kind of a looming feeling of where do we go from here now that we won't have Anthony Davis now for an unspecified period of time. And I would imagine that it will be significant as far as that period of time goes. Um, so still there was that kind of, I don't want to say bittersweet, but that was that mixed emotions that we all felt last night post game that includes uh, the players too in the mood in the locker room now last segment we heard your interview with anthony it seemed like he was disappointed but also he seemed really mature about the whole situation did you get that same sense with talking with him last night i really did you know he really is a mature young man um you know it's hard to forget or it's easy to forget that he is you know the age that he is and um and but he's already been through a lot and i think that um his upbringing and and his mindset about things and the way that he goes about his job uh, is truly remarkable for his age, and this is uh, not something new for him, unfortunately, after missing 
you know, 18 games last year. He's going to miss some more now. But, you know, he really felt like he had things going and felt like that he was doing all he could to help his team. And now he has to sit on the sidelines and let them kind of learn their way without him. So uh, that's a that's an uneasy feeling even for um, a veteran player, let alone a second-year player like Anthony. Uh, you know, he's he's discouraged to say the least. He's really disappointed that he won't get to play in his hometown tonight in Chicago for now the second year in a row. And uh, we'll see where we go from here. Uh, it, it's, it was nice to see the team rally around his absence last night, and you hope that that's something that they can kind of put on their shoulders and, and battle through. I think this team is tough enough to do it. They've got some strong personalities in that locker room, and they seem determined to continue the uh, momentum that they've been building here on the road. And that'll have to continue tonight in a very tough place to play. And then, you know, the homestand coming up is, is no uh, walk in the park either. We're talking with the radio voice of the Pelicans, Sean Kelly. Uh, Sean, Alfred Aminu came in and played some pretty good defense on Carmelo Anthony last night. Uh, in Philly, though, Aminu was a DNP coach's decision after falling out of the starting lineup. With Anthony Davis out, will we see more of Alfred Aminu? I think it depends on the uh, on the matchup. He did a great job last night defending Carmelo Anthony in the second half. I think I think Aminu got back to some of the things that he needs to do night in and night out, and that's play to his strengths, which are you know aggressive rebounding and using his athleticism on the defensive end. So if he can continue to do that, he'll have a role. Now, that role, I think, is still yet to be determined because I'm not so sure that Monty Williams is all that sure what he wants to do with the starting three position. So it is going to be matchup-driven. And um, and I don't think that Monty Williams will be very patient with Aminu if he's not playing the way that he thinks that Aminu should be playing. So with that being said, you know, you're really short in, in the low post as far as bodies go. And, uh, and guys are going to have to step up and maybe play out of their comfort zone a little bit. And uh, then you're going to have to rely on uh, the kind of play you saw from Anderson and Evans last night, too. Those guys are really going to have to step up and do a little bit of what they did, which was, you know, last night carry the load off the bench, if not altogether, as they scored 55 together. Um, I don't think that's going to happen every night, but certainly those are the kind of performances that they'll need to carry them through the absence of number 23. Now you speak of Anderson and Evans. Anderson most likely, of course, moving into the starting lineup. Now, how does that affect Monty's job of his lineups and rotation? Because Anderson and Tyreek played well off each other, but now Anderson in the starting lineup and Evans still coming off the bench. How will that affect Monty's rotation? Well, I think the guys are going to be uh, put to the test as far as minutes played goes. I think some of those guys, like Anderson, who have primarily been a uh, a piece of the bench rotation and then down the stretch being a part of what I like to call the closing five, but um, he's not only going to have to start now, but also be out there to help solidify those times where the bench has to move the game through. And so you're going to see extended minutes from guys like Anderson, guys like Evans. You know, Holiday's been playing high minutes again and seems to be handling it very well. And uh, and we'll go from there. And Gordon has to be very consistent, I think. I think you're going to need a real consistent score at the two. And, um, and, and, and beyond that, it's going to be a situation where Anderson at the four is going to have to kind of will his way of playing. Like, for example, tonight against Chicago, Boozer likes to play very physical and will be very low post oriented. Can Anderson get Boozer to play more away from the rim on the offensive end? And on the defensive end, can Anderson get a little bit of help with the physicality he's going to see in players like Boozer and other fours that he's going to see that are not quite the finesse players that Anderson is? So you mentioned uh, Anderson's matchup with Boozer. Don't forget they also have Joe Kim. Noah, what what can the Pelicans do tonight with now a lack in the front court? What can they do to stop this team? A, a Derrick Rose list Chicago Bulls. 
Well, the Bulls are coming in a game under 500. They're also trying to find their way, and now for the second consecutive season, they're doing without their A number one guy, much like the Pelicans going to have to start doing here without Davis. Noah's struggled here of late, um, but he is a, uh, an energy-type player who really thrives at home, and so guys like Jason Smith are going to have to do a nice job on him. And otherwise, I think you'll see Jeff Whippy come back in off the inactive list and help uh, add some fouls and body uh, to that position. So they're going to have to be careful not to let Noah get loose on them tonight. Um, but at the same time, I think the Bulls offensively are struggling in the fact that they're having trouble scoring the ball in key moments of the game, and that's because they're without their guy, Derrick Rose. And so if the Pelicans can get off to a fast start tonight uh, and take that crowd out of it a little bit and make the Bulls play from behind, it changes the dynamic of the game, and the Pelicans would have a solid shot at sweeping this East Coast road trip. Now the schedule doesn't get easier this week for the Pelicans. After tonight, they face the Mavericks at home on Wednesday and then the Thunder at home on Friday. The importance, like you said, Sean, of getting this game and sweeping the road trip before heading home for two tough games. Well, you haven't had a winning record since early November of last year, so that would be an accomplishment if the Pelicans were to win tonight. That would give you a little bit of confidence and uh, make the road trip truly a success. Um, but then it's, it's, it's batting down the hatches because the rest of December, starting with this homestand you're referring to, is, uh, is pretty nasty. Uh, Dallas is playing better. Uh, I can't wait to see the matchup between Calderon and Holiday on Wednesday and Nowitzki and Anderson on Wednesday. And then you mentioned Oklahoma City, who's amongst the elite in the West. So I, I think that you probably still, with this young team and one that now has to find itself all over again without Davis, take it one game at a time. We'll see how they go tonight and then certainly take the Dallas game as it is before you talk about uh, Oklahoma City too much on Friday. Um, if you look too far ahead or take it in big chunks, I think it'll be a little bit overwhelming for this team. That's Sean Kelly, the radio voice of the Pelicans. Reminder, no broadcast tonight, but you can get updates on the Pelicans app or pelicans.com where you can follow uh, Jim Eichenhofer at Jim Eichenhofer. Sean, enjoy the day off, a weird day off there in uh, Chicago and no broadcast. And uh, do me a favor, bring back a deep dish pizza in your briefcase for me or suitcase for me. <laughs> We'll see if it fits. It's pretty stuff now, but I'll do my best, Daniel. Thanks. Uh, Sean Kelly, the voice of the Pelicans. When we come back, we'll check in with John DeShazer, who is in Seattle tonight as the Saints take on the Seahawks. We'll be right back. Okay, you've just been told you have a serious heart issue. Congestive heart failure, a valve problem, a complex rhythm disorder. Now what? At Auctioner, we suggest you take a moment and do some research. When you do, you'll find Auctioner Medical Center as the only heart program in the region ranked among the nation's best by U.S. News & World Report. We routinely treat the most complex cases with revolutionary procedures such as surgical and non-surgical valve replacements and the total artificial heart. And we have the largest, most comprehensive program for treating arrhythmias in the Gulf South, offering options not available elsewhere in the region. At the end of the day, the most important thing to hear is... I just saw your test results, and they look great. No problems. Leading Edge Care. Just one more reason to choose an Auctioner-affiliated physician. For an appointment, visit auctioner.org or call 1-866-AUCTIONER. That's O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. It's Saints game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. Well, of course, it is a Saints game day, and of course, that means we are joined today by John DeShays, your senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. John is in Seattle, and uh, J.D., is it, is, it, is it cold out there right now? Well, I mean, it's not too bad right here, Daniel. I'm going to do the best I can not to freeze my gluteus to the maximus, but, um, you know, right now, presently, 
Uh, it's about 39 degrees and, and actually sunny. And from everything I've read and heard, it's supposed to be game time temperatures about 38, 39. Uh, precipitation maybe rain. There's supposed to be some rain today, but by game time, by kickoff, it may have cleared out now. It's supposed to be maybe a mix of rain and snow tonight. But uh, if the temperatures hover around, you know, 38, 39, 40, somewhere in there, and if the precipitation isn't too bad, I certainly don't think it's going to be adverse for the Saints because we know the Saints, they're going to they're gonna throw the football, and unless it's a deluge, a, a deluge, unless it's just pouring down rain or, or, you know, snow flurries to where you can't see, they're going to throw the football. So, you know, right now the weather doesn't look like it's going to adversely affect what the Saints want to do. Now, Sean Payton doesn't like to use this as an excuse, but the rest of the country likes to believe that the Saints are not a very good road team. Their two losses this year have come on the road in the outdoors, and like you said, you don't think the the temperatures and the weather might be a factor, but do you think it's kind of in their heads a little bit that they're not as good of a road team as a home team? Well, I mean, I, I think they've heard it so much that you can't help but be conscious of it, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, they're 3-2 and two on the road this year. Uh, if you want to just go by the by the sheer statistics, both losses have been by less than a touchdown. And since Sean Payton's been the coach of this team, they're 35 and 26 on the road, so not terrible. And I mean, generally, it's difficult to win on on the road in the NFL. The, I think the biggest perception and well, the biggest reality is they're 0 and 3 under Sean Payton on the road in the playoffs, and 0 and 5 on the road in the playoffs in their history. And generally, those have been outdoor, cold January games. And so that's where you get the biggest perception. If they were, you know, say two and three in those games, I don't think people would look at it the same way. But because they're 0 and 5 on the road, and because most of those games are, you know, are in the cold or in adverse weather, adverse conditions, and, you know, I think that's where the biggest, biggest uh, part of it comes from. So, you know, generally, yeah, I think, I think it rankles them some, though. I'm sure it gets under their skin because, you know, you're talking about a team that's on the verge of winning 10 games for, you know, maybe the third time under Coach Payton or, or, or maybe the fourth time or so. And so you're talking about a team that's been pretty successful, and yet, you know, the perception still is, you know, every time they play a physical team, people say they're a finesse team. When they decide, when they have to, when the schedule takes them outside in November, December, and they have to play, you know, a Seattle or a Chicago, people say they're a dome team. So, you know, that's a perception that can get under anyone's skin when you, you know, when you otherwise consider yourselves to be a successful franchise. Now, these are two teams that are top two in defense as far as net total yards allowed, and both are top five in points allowed per game. Is this game going to come down to who takes care of the football better? Oh, I absolutely think so. I mean, Seattle's really good at getting the ball away from from opposing offenses, especially in the passing game. Seattle leads the league with 16 interceptions, and that's a pretty significant number. Even though they're supposed to be missing a couple of guys out of the secondary, they are ball hawks, and they're guys who play bump and run, and they like to get physical with you, you know, in the in the receiving uh, opposing receivers. So. They're going to be a team that's going to be on high alert, and the Saints are pretty good at taking the ball away too. So if you protect the bat, protect the football, especially in adverse conditions, because if it's raining or if it's snowing, there's going to be some opportunities for that ball to kind of pop out here and there. You know, it generally happens in bad weather, and so the team that protects it the best certainly is going to give itself the best opportunity, especially when you're talking about a couple of teams that may have to rely on the run. We know Seattle exclusively, not exclusively, but a lot likes to lean on the run. They've got Marshawn Lynch. They're third in the league in rushing 147.9 yards a game. So they're a team that's going to want to keep the ball on the ground, ground control, and just kind of beat you up physically in the ground game. And the Saints, even though they're on a team that's going to run it that much, 
but they have to run it enough to create balance. They can't have another game like they had against the Jets where they attempted 55 passes and only 13 runs. There's got to be a better balance. In the last three games, they've had a much better balance in terms of running the football. In those three games, they've run it 86 times. That's about, you know, 20s, you know, I can't, you know, 25, 26, 27 times per game. And also, you know, what they've done well is have a good average per rush, five yards per carry in those three games. So, you know, it's going to come down to, I think a lot of it is going to be how successful the Saints can be on the ground. If, they get, if they're in a situation where they're going to end up throwing it 45, 48 times and running it 22 times, that's generally not a good recipe for being on the road. If you can get that thing down and balance it out a little bit better, and maybe 40 throws and maybe 28, 30 runs, I think that plays more into, into what they want to be. Now you mentioned Marshawn Lynch, and we know what he did last time against the Saints in the playoffs. We're not going to go too deep into that. But what can the Saints do to at least try to contain Marshawn tonight? Well, I mean, the Saints might have to do some of the things they did against San Francisco. And what they did against San Francisco was, you know, they kind of loaded up the box and they and they made San Francisco a one-dimensional team. They took Frank Gore away from San Francisco. Now, Seattle's run game is a little bit different than, than, than San Francisco's in terms of one enjoys to stretch a little bit more and one kind of powers at you. But still, the the gist of it is to take Marshawn Lynch away and make Russell Wilson throw the football. I think uh, safety Roman Harper said it best this week. If, if if Russell Wilson has to throw it 50 times and Seattle wins the game that way, then the Saints will live with that because that's what they want Seattle to be. They want Seattle to put the put the game on Russell Wilson's shoulders and have to throw it to Golden Tate and those other receivers. We know Percy Harvin's probably going to be out tonight, so that's one less weapon that they'll have offensively. And if you can do that, if you can make Russell Wilson have to be the guy, then sometimes you just tip your cap and say, okay, you got me today. But they can't allow Marshawn Lynch to have you know, 24 carries for 120 yards and those kinds of things because that'll be exactly what Seattle wants. That'll allow Seattle to control the clock. That'll keep the Saints offense off the field. And basically, physically, they will wear you down because they will keep pounding the rock and pounding the rock and pounding the rock. And then you won't have an idea of what they're doing offensively. They can play action off of it and do everything it is that they like to do. But if you can make them one-dimensional, if you can slow down Marshawn Lynch, then that's going to play into the Saints' hands. Uh, we're talking with John DeShazer, senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. You just talked about the, the Seahawks' weapons. How about the Saints' weapons? You, of course, you have Jimmy Graham, but you're now having a healthy Marcus Colston and Lance Moore. Uh, Kenny Stills, who has played very well as a rookie so far, does that alleviate some of the pressure on Jimmy Graham as far as double coverage? And does that mean Drew Brees has a lot of capable weapons on the field at one time? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think having those guys healthy and having Kenny Stills kind of emerge. And also, you know, you, we have to, you know, also pay attention to Darren Sproles and Pierre Thomas out of the backfield. That makes the Saints a lot more multidimensional in the passing game. Now, certainly Jimmy Graham, if the, if, if the Seahawks want to play him the same way that New England did, and that's, you know, match up maybe their best cornerback, and that's, you know, Richard Sherman. If they want to try that route, then the New England was able to get away with it with a keep to lead because the Saints were a little bit beat up at receiver. But they're not that beat up now. You know, they do have Lance Moore back in these full speed. They do have Marcus Colson, who's pretty much at full speed. And they do have, you know, Robert Meacham and, and Kenny Stills. So I don't know necessarily if that's a route Seattle will go. Seattle generally likes to man up anyway. So they're going to take their chances. They have full belief in their secondary. So someone for the Saints, you know, if, if, if you know, all things being equal, you know, somebody should be able to shake free, whether it's Jimmy Graham or whether it's Lance Moore, whether it's Marcus Colston. But, you know, there should be some advantages there because, you know, this is exactly what the Saints are looking for, and, and, and they're at full strength and full health. 
with the Panthers winning eight games in a row now, they're nine and three on this season. Do, do the Saints feel a little more pressure with Carolina nipping at their heels? Well, the thing is, I, I, I'm, I think they feel more pressure about trying to get home field, and, and and Carolina being as high as they are certainly does. It's going to push some, but I think you know the the goal being to get the number one seed in the NFC. You know, even overrides that because even if they lose tonight, and even if they end up tied with Carolina, they're still the head-to-head matchup. And they still have that showdown to where you can still hold off Carolina. But the problem would be that, you know, now Seattle would have a two-game lead, you know, with four games left, and it would be, you know, very, very difficult to catch up to them. So I think, you know, the, the number one seed is the driving force as much as anything. You know, certainly you take the number two seed, you know, you still be guaranteed a home playoff game and that kind of thing. But, you know, to have the number one seed, you know, we know that when the Saints had the number one seed previously and the the path to the Super Bowl came through New Orleans, well, they ended up winning, winning the NFC and going on down to Miami and winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, they know that recipe works. But the only way to get to it this year probably is to beat Seattle in Seattle. So, you know, if you want to make your mark and, you know, you want to be, you know, thought of as a good road team and you want to be thought of as a team that can play in their, you know, all conditions and, you know, whatever game you have travels well, then these are the type games that, you know, players live for. These are the type games that, you know, franchises rise up and they jump up and they win and, and, and secure home field. All right, J.D., I'll leave you with this. Last question, the Saints win tonight if? Saints win tonight if they can run the football, I think, 26 to 30 times. If, if they run it 26 to 30 times, I think that's a good omen because, one, that means the offense is on the field. And, two, if they run it that often, that means they're being effective with it. So that means they're getting four, four and a half, five yards per carry. And if they do that, that will be a great balance for the passing game because then the passing game will be able to kind of dictate, you know, where they want to throw it and under what circumstances. And, and they will be keeping Seattle off the field. You know, you want to keep Marshawn Lynch over there on the sideline. And Russell Wilson is extremely dangerous. So I think offensively, if the Saints run it 20, 26 to 30 times, I believe that would be, you know, exactly what they want. And then the flip side of that is if Seattle's behind and Russell Wilson's going to have to throw it 40 times, uh, you know, 45 times, then that's what they want. So, you know, I believe if they run the football effectively, they put Seattle under some duress. And even though Seattle has shown the ability to come back several times this year, they've done it against several teams, you know, I just don't know if those teams have been the caliber of the Saints. And so, again, if the Saints are, are having good success running the football and if they run it enough to really balance out the offense, I think they win the game. All right, that's John DeShazer, senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. You can uh, get all his uh, his articles on NewOrleansSaints.com and catch his pregame interview with Sean Payton later on today. And you can also follow him on Twitter, at John DeShazer. John, thank you so much, and uh, try to stay warm up there in Seattle. Oh, we'll do. Hopefully uh, the weather will cooperate with us tonight. Um, certainly uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to not wear uh, thermals, but you know, as long as it's not snowing and sleeting and all that kind of stuff. And you know, for me, I'll be in the press box anyway. So you know, I'll be drinking coffee and you know, cocoa and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I guess all the sympathy really probably should go, go for the players. But you know, us media types, we like to be thought of too. <laughs> all right, John, thank you very much. Coming up next is Claire Farnsworth from SeattleSeahawks.com. Don't go away. You're listening to a game day edition of the Black and Blue Report. Hey there, what you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. Nicotine? 
Listen, I'm gonna hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or iPad? Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report. Well, we just heard the Saints side from a senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com, John DeShazer, and now it's our time to hear from the Seahawks. Uh, we have Claire Farnsworth from SeattleSeahawks.com. Claire, uh, happy Monday, happy game day to you. Thank you. This is a, uh, I haven't felt this way before a game in a long time. There's a, a lot riding on this game and the fact that it's, you know, Monday night and it's the Saints and the Seahawks and it, uh, it just doesn't get a whole lot better than this. Absolutely. Again, the Saints, Seahawks coming into this game 10-1, and the Saints 9-2, and so home field advantage at stake. The Seahawks were off uh, last week coming off a win over Minnesota two weeks ago. The Saints had the win on Thursday Night Football against Atlanta. Now, Claire... Does the Seattle advantage of having coming off a bye week, does that get distorted a little bit since the Saints have had some extra time as well to prepare for Seattle? Yeah, and I think it also gets distorted a little bit that is, as good as the Seahawks have been before their bye, uh, I think when they're 19-6, and six, they're like 6-18 and 18 the week after their bye. Um, even under Pete Carroll, the four seasons he's been here, they just haven't been able to kind of uh, you know, keep their mojo going, whatever you want to call it, uh, coming out of their bye week and, and, and playing as well as, as they did before the bye. Uh, coming out of it. So, yeah, you've got that. You've got, uh, like you said, both teams are, are very rested. You can tell that by looking at the injury reports that, uh, during the week. There just weren't a whole lot of guys on there. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's it kind of a, it's kind of a, a push for both teams because they both should be well-rested and have had plenty of time to, to not only think about this but be asked about just everything that's on this game tonight. You know more about that crazy Seattle crowd than any of us. Uh, and combine that with the cold weather expected tonight, is this the biggest obstacle for the Saints to overcome? I, I think so, just because of the way the Saints play. You know, they, they throw the ball so much, they rely on Drew Brees uh, to do so many things, um, and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, you just watch uh, the, the quarterbacks that, that, that have total control of their offense and are just able to, you know, be, be in sync with everything they're trying to do. And, you know, there's, there's Peyton Manning, there's Tom Brady, there's Drew Brees, and I'm, I'm not sure that there are a whole lot of other guys uh, that fall into that category. And that's one thing that the crowd here, even if it doesn't affect Brees, it's going to affect the other guys around him, the, the receiver. That the tackles, it just gets so noisy uh, at CenturyLink Field, and part of it is is that the, the, the fans are crazy. The twelfth man, as they call them, they they just uh, you know they make noise from start to finish. But also the way uh, that this stadium that opened in 2002 was constructed, it's kind of uh, it was designed so that the, the the grandstands, the noise comes down out of them, swirls around and comes back again, so it kind of reverberates the noise. And then also they've got this thing called the Hawk's Nest that you'll probably see tonight in the north end zone under the big score board that's uh, basically an aluminum drum and when people start banging or, or stomping their feet uh, in there you can hear it uh, miles away so um, yeah it, it, it has been a factor for every team that's played in here and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a factor tonight at some point. Is there anything the Saints can do to try to alleviate that problem? I know other teams have tried to figure it out and it just doesn't work. Is there anything the Saints can do to try to you know bring some of that advantage or take away some of that home field advantage? 
Well, it's the old, you know, take the crowd out of the game, and the way to do that is to, to score early and, and, and get up. But, uh, you know, th- this crowd has shown they've had a couple games here this year that they, you know, against Tampa Bay, they had to go into overtime. They were down by uh, 21 points, um, and, and this crowd still doesn't give up. But I think if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to combat this, the, the best way to do it is just uh, take a lead, try to get these guys out of it, um, you know, force some turnovers. You know, the, this, this crowd expects a lot from the Seahawks, and, the, and they're not happy when they, when they don't deliver. So um, that would probably be my best advice was just to, you know, get up early, force some turnovers, get a big lead, and then we'll see what the crowd, the crowd reacts after that. So it looks like tonight the Seahawks will be without Walter Thurman and Brandon Browner, which means Seattle will be left with a pretty depleted secondary as far as the cornerbacks are concerned. Who has a chance to step up tonight in their absence? Well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Brandon Browner has got a groin injury in addition to his pending suspension, so he'll be he'll miss his second game. Uh, Walter Thurman's beginning his four-game suspension this week. So what that does is it takes Byron Maxwell, uh, will be making his first NFL start in this situation against Drew Brees and everything they can throw at you at right cornerback. And because Thurman was the nickelback uh, who slid outside after uh, uh, Browner was injured, now he's gone. So now we get Jeremy Lane, who started a couple games last December when, when they also had suspension problems with their cornerbacks uh, as the nickelback. So, yeah, that's, you know, that that's what's, what's – you know the reality of it is, is that it's the next man up. The Seahawks have been playing off of that all year. They played for two months without their starting tackles. They haven't had their Pro Bowl center uh, Max Unger for uh, you know th- uh, three games. They've had injuries on defense where guys have had to step up, and so now it's they're, they're taking that whole next man up approach to the next level and expecting these uh, kind of young, untested corners to go out there and be able to get the job done against a team that passes the ball as much and as well as the Saints do. We're talking with SeattleSeahawks.com writer Claire Claire Farnsworth. Claire, does that mean that we expect Breeze to throw the ball more with this depleted secondary, or do you still see them trying to run the ball and have a balanced offense tonight? Yeah, I think they they continue to to, to go at it the way that they have. Um, you know, it's it's kind of the same way with the Seahawks that they're they're not going to get out of what they normally do just because they don't have their their you know normal cornerbacks in there and they're facing uh, somebody like Jimmy Graham who can do as much damage from as many places as he can on the on the field. So I think the Saints have to kind of just come in here. I mean, they throw the ball enough as you know, um, and just kind of come in here with their same game plan and try to to set it up because that's an, another factor. Browner um, was a big, long, physical corner not only in coverage but playing against the run so now you've got a little bit slighter guy uh doesn't play the run quite as well as uh, byron maxwell out there so um you know that might play into their favor as far as the running game as well shifting to the seahawks quarterback russell wilson's had a pretty good sophomore season so far 19 touchdowns six interceptions what has wilson improved on the most from last season well, I think that in beginning to talk about him, the first thing we need to point out is that he's 13-0 at CenturyLink Field, has yet to lose here since becoming a starter last year. But I think the things that he's improved on the most is just his awareness within the game. And I, I think the people down there probably know all about this, that um, he has kind of used uh, Drew Brees as not only a sounding board into someone to pattern his game after on the field, but the way he approaches the game. He got with Brees at the Pro Bowl and was kind of leaning in, you know, into his ear. And, you know, how do you handle this? How do you do this kind of thing? So just his approach to the game. And, and Pete Carroll, the, the coach here, has, called, has referred to Brand, or, uh, Russell as the fixer. Um, if something's not kind of going right, they sit him down, they explain what needs to happen, and he's been able to go out and fix it. So 
So, um, you know, early in his, his career, like last season, early he was throwing too many interceptions. They told him to knock that off. He found a way to do it. Um, then they were running the ball real well out of the zone read, and, and they haven't been doing as much of that this year. They needed him to, to be a little bit more of a passer, and he's been able to do that. So I think it's just the, the maturity that he's gained and, and the, the growth of his, uh, his game, which was, I think, better than any of us expected when he first showed up. We were all kind of surprised, and now when he does the things he's been doing, it's not as big as a surprise. You have to realize, okay, this guy, like Drew Brees, yes, he's too small to play in this league, people will tell you, but boy, is he playing well. Do you think he feels more comfortable as a, as a young quarterback knowing that he has that defense behind him to back him up? Yeah, and also the running back that's in the backfield with him. Uh, he leans on Marshawn Lynch a lot. They work really well in that zone read tandem that I, that I just mentioned. Um, so he's got that going for him. And also, like, yeah, he, he's mentioned that several times that, okay, if something's not there, you throw it away. You punt the ball. You get our defense back on the field. There, there are a lot worse ways to go, and that's one of the main things he's learned. He has not hurt this team uh, a whole lot with turnovers. He had a he lost a couple of uh, uh, fumbles on sacks in the Arizona game, and since then he's been uh, he's been pretty sharp. Before I let you go, Claire, the Seahawks win tonight if. Boy, the Seahawks win tonight, If and, and I hate to sound like one of the players, especially Cortez Kennedy going all the way back to him, if they go out and play Seahawks football. And what that is is they, they need to bring the swagger that's, that's gotten them this far. Uh, they've, they've found ways to win games all season, um, and they also, I think, have to lean heavily on, on Marshawn Lynch. Um, that's the best way to defend uh, Drew Brees is to let him watch the game from the sidelines. So um, get beast mode going early, You know, get him on track. They've also got Robert Turbin, another very physical running back, um, you know, so they can just kind of take care of that and be able to contain uh, Jimmy Graham. Uh, you know, he, they've, they've done a really good job on Vernon Davis and Tony Gonzalez, two other really good tight ends they faced this year. So if they can kind of just keep Graham under control and, and not let him, you know, go off on him and, and, and turn this thing into, a, you know, something they don't want, um, it, it'll be a, a, a very interesting game, and they, they could come out of here as the first team in the NFC to qualify for the playoffs uh, since the Cardinals lost yesterday. That's SeattleSeahawks.com writer. Uh, Claire Farns with Claire. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the game tonight. I'm definitely going to enjoy it. You do the same. Thank you. That's Claire Farnsworth again from SeattleSeahawks.com. I'll wrap things up for you coming up next on the Black and Blue Report. This is Todd Graves, founder of Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. Being the official chicken of the New Orleans Saints, we're more than just fans of the Saints. We're fans of Saints fans. So on game day, we make sure they're reloaded with tailgates of our fresh chicken fingers and jugs of lemonade and sweet tea. The best chicken fingers around, we got this. Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. The official chicken of your New Orleans Saints. Your New Orleans Pelicans take flight Wednesday night, December 4th, when Western Conference rival the Dallas Mavericks come to town. Tip-offs at 7 p.m. at the Pelicans Fest pregame block party gets underway at 5.30 with live music, the Zatarain Season Ticket Garden, and interactive games for the kids. Tickets start as low as $14 and are available by calling 525-HOOP or visiting pelicans.com today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Our thanks to Sean Kelly, John DeShazer, and Claire Farnsworth for joining me on today's show. Don't worry, Sean, we'll be back tomorrow as we'll have a full recap of tonight's Monday Night Football game between the Saints and the Seahawks. And we hope to have an update on Anthony Davis, who fractured his left hand in the win against New York last night. Don't forget to log on to NewOrleansSaints.com tonight for full coverage of the game, including 
a pregame interview with Saints head coach Sean Payne. And a reminder, there is no Pelicans broadcast tonight on TV and the radio. Make sure you download the Pelicans app and follow Jim Eichenhofer on Twitter for updates on tonight's game with the Chicago Bulls. You can follow the show on Twitter at Black Blue Report. And don't forget to follow Sean Kelly at Sean Kelly Live, John DeShazer at John DeShazer, and myself at D. Salerson. You can also listen to the show online via iTunes and the Saints and Pelicans mobile app. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's double game day edition of the Black and Blue Report. Hoping for a Saints and Pelicans victory tonight. And for Sean Kelly, John DeShazer, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon from the Big Easy. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report.